this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle or anyone who is looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is from the Gospel according to Mark, beginning at chapter 4, verse 1, and continuing through verse 12. It's the basis for the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on February 26, 2023. It's the first message in our Lenten series called Lost and Found, and it's a series about how we find hope when we feel lost at different moments of our life. Every message in this series is going to be on one of the teachings of Jesus contained in a parable, and that's where we really begin this week. The parable here in Mark chapter 4 is commonly called the parable of the sower. We're going to find that there's actually a better name for it in just a few moments. Jesus' official public teaching ministry in Mark's gospel begins with his seat at the sea, as it's called. This is his big first teaching moment where he proclaims a message to a large group of people. The sea in this case is the Sea of Galilee, which actually isn't a sea. It's really a lake. It's freshwater. And the crowds were gathering in on Jesus along the shore. And so what he did is he took to a small boat and used it to push offshore slightly, and he used it as a pulpit to speak to the people on the shore. Now, it says in the text, of course, that he's seated in the boat because even if they were in a synagogue or another place, being seated is the traditional teaching posture in Jesus' day. It says that he taught them many things in parables. So there's this sense in which Mark is trying to help us understand that there are many parables Jesus told, only some of which are included in his version of the life of Jesus. And this teaching that took place in parables is a unique way of teaching. A a parable is a a story that conveys meaning. And so we can hear in verses one and two that he began to teach them by the sea and a very large crowd gathered. He got into a boat, sat on the sea. He got and went out to sea in the boat and he sat down. And then the crowd gathered all along the sea on the land. And as he was teaching them many things in parables, He was saying to them in his teaching. The emphasis Mark is trying to draw here is that the way Jesus teaches the crowds consistently is through parables. A parable, again, is a story that conveys a meaning. So oftentimes we split hairs on these stories. So some people say, oh, the story is an allegory. Some people say, oh, it's a metaphor. But ultimately, a parable is contextual. It frames truth in language image, and narrative for the sake of the hearers. But yet it's a double-edged tactic. So while on the one hand it's contextual, using symbols and, and story that everyone's familiar with, it does require a deeper level of participation by the hearer. In other words, you have to be able to be able to interpret the parable in terms of the meaning that's implied or uh, in being imparted in the teaching. So The challenge we have today is twofold. Not only we need to understand the message Jesus is proclaiming, but we have to recognize that in a parabolic form or in the parable form, we're not in the culture that Jesus spoke the parable in. So its potential meaning can be lost to us because we don't know what it was like to live in the world in which Jesus spoke this. 
And so we have two challenges here. One is to understand that particular culture and moment so we can understand then, secondly, the meaning of what Jesus is trying to say. And that opens up a key passageway for us here, that interpreting Jesus's teaching requires our active reflection and engagement. Jesus's teaching ministry consumes the vast majority of the text in the four Gospels. And so what's here is not just some kind of moral or ethical roadmap. Jesus doesn't sit down and just explicitly lay out exactly what he wants his disciples to see, hear, and do. No, he speaks to them in a way that invites us to listen carefully with him. And this is all part of our invitation and our call. This is the beginning of our act of free will and choice that we would say, yes, I will sit and hear the teaching, but I also will strive to interpret that teaching to understand what it means for me. So what we learn here is that faith in Christ is not passive or recreational. It's not a label we fix on ourselves. Our faith asks us to do something. And in this case, it's interpreting the message that Jesus is trying to proclaim even to us. Now, this particular parable is about sowing seeds, and it's about those seeds and what happens to them when they're sown into soil. Now, the parable uses a three to three ratio. There are three different seeds that are challenged and have very difficult time coming to fruitfulness. And then there's three abundant seeds. So it's not a a parable about four seeds. It's actually in some sense about six seeds or even six groups of seed. So Jesus begins this teaching in verse three with a really unusual formulation. He says, listen to this, behold, and then he begins to explain the parable. It's a very unusual construction to use, listen to this and behold. These are what are called hortatory statements, hortatory. And what that means is they're Uh, It's the language of invitation. So Jesus isn't commanding to them as much as Jesus saying, I'm inviting you to listen to this or let us listen or let us behold together. They're invitations basically to look here, listen up. And then Jesus relies on an image and a vocation that every single one of his hearers would have understood, a sower going out to sow seeds. This is something everybody in Jesus's day, especially in the Galilee would have been well acquainted with. The audience was likely seated on or near a field of grain at the time, so everyone was familiar with the task of sowing seed. Now, while this parable of Jesus is often called the parable of the sower, take note when you read the story that the sower only appears one time in the story at the very beginning. It says, the sower went out to sow. That's it, we never see the sower again. So I might suggest, along with many others, that this is better called the parable of the seeds than it is the sower. The sower only appears this one time and the only time in the entire parable, but the seeds are all throughout the parable. Now, it's important to recognize that when we think of planting seeds, we do it in a very organized way, at least here within Western culture and in the United States, is that we go out and plow a field into precise rows, and then we plant the seeds in those rows. That's a very organized way of doing it. So we plow first and then we sow the seed. In contrast, sowing seed in Jesus's day was very different. What they would do is go into a field 
and throw seed about everywhere. And then they would come in after the seed had been thrown on the ground and then they would plow. In other words, the seed would be laying on the surface, but then they would plow the dirt up and cover the seed. So it wasn't all planted in organized sort of rows. It was, it was planted somewhat haphazardly with the notion that we're going to put seed in a lot of places and we're going to turn a, turn a harvest one way or another. There are three challenges that these seeds face. Remember, it's the three to three ratio, three challenged seeds and three abundant seeds. Seed number one was seed that fell on the, the road and the birds ate it, according to the story. It's not uncommon. This would have happened in the days of Jesus, that the sower would sow seed, some of it would fly out on the road, the birds came by and ate it because it didn't last very long. The second kind of seed fell on the rocky ground, but it had no depth, no rich topsoil, so it was sun-scorched and withered. This, again, happened commonly. And then third, there were the seeds that fell in the thorns and the thistles and that choked the life out of them. In other words, among weeds or something that, that was very similar looking to the wheat. So what we can see here are these three different challenges were not uncommon. And later on in the interpretation of the parable, Jesus is going to tell us what the, these three different types of seed mean and what happened to them. But what we need to pay attention to here is that the work of sowing seed is one where threats and challenges were abundant. Every farmer who sowed seed knew that some of it would fall on the, the road, some would be on rocky ground, some would be on thorns, and that was okay. All these conditions were common in ancient Palestine, especially near G where Jesus was in the hill country of the Galilee. The conditions are not perfect. There are birds, rocks, thistles. They were all common problems to farmers. Yet the farmer sows the seed anyways, liberally in faith, believing that there will be a harvest even among all of these threats. And that opens up a key passageway for us in this parable of the seeds that the choice to act is not based on the best conditions. It's based on the best outcome. Ultimately, farmers sow seeds to reap a harvest, and they accept the risks with that work, waiting for the perfect conditions, the perfect time, or the perfect place are not realistic. The first lesson here is that sowing seeds is done in these things, not around them. The road, the rocky ground, the thorns and the thistles, they're all involved in this story. And so if we look for the perfect time to act, the perfect time to share, the perfect time to serve, we'll find that that time never comes. But we take action even in and especially in challenging times because it's an act of hope toward an outcome that has yet to be. parable continues down in verses 8 and 9, where we contrast the other three seeds. Remember the first three seeds. They, one fell on the road, one fell in the rocky places, one fell in thistles and thorns, as compared to the other three seeds. Now, this one verse, verse 8, expounds on the reason the sower set out to begin with. This is the reason why the sower sows seeds for the outcome. And all the outcomes thus far are normal. They are not exceptional. They are normal. But these seeds fell on good soil and produced a fruit. And here's where the story becomes exceptional. A normal yield of a harvest for any farmer in this day 
was a seven to 10 times yield. So in other words, if you were to sow a cup of seed into the ground in different places, you would yield seven to 10 cups of actual grain. And this was usually under good conditions, the best conditions. And take note that it's not one seed that bears this harvest, but others. It, Jesus says others seed. There is, it's plural. There's more than one. Now, three failed seeds we already read about. The ones on the road, the ones on the rocky soil, the ones in the thorns and the thistles. But these other seeds that did take root, these are, for lack of better words, super mega abundant seeds take root. Remember what the normal yield was, seven to 10 times yield? Jesus says these seeds yield 30, 60, or 100 times. It's crazy the numbers Jesus gives in terms of the return on these seeds at the harvest. They're ridiculous. So the miraculous part of the story isn't necessarily that seed gets sown on a road or in the rocks or in the thorns and the thistles. Oftentimes we read the story and interpret the fact that the sower went out and sowed seeds so liberally they threw the seed all over the place without paying attention to where it went. No, my friends, the real miracle in this story is the yield of the seed that lands on the good soil. It's so unusual, 30, 60, 100 fold, that's vastly more than seven to 10 times the yield they would normally see. So parables allow Jesus, and a parable like this allows him to employ what's called the hyperbolic or hyperbole. And what hyperbole is, it's an exaggeration to deliberately make a point. So the surprising element of the parable is not the sower, not the three failed seeds, it's the harvest. And that is what people would question when they heard this story the first time. How could a harvest like this happen, even with all of these real challenges around them? And then Jesus says at the end, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is an idiom in the time of Jesus, which means to read between the lines. Even in all the threats that exist, there is potential for a harvest beyond anything anyone expected. And this opens a key passageway to us here, that the potential outcome for God changes how we see the risks. Here's what I mean. The heart of the parable is a wildly exaggerated harvest. Jesus invites us into a new way of thinking, that there's this, there's this mystery that Jesus will explain in a moment about the kingdom of God. The work of the kingdom happens within and in risk. Rescue is not usually the plan, but the kingdom of God moving forward in the midst of all of those risks. It's similar to the other parable Jesus tells about the wheat and the tares, about how the, the good seed is mixed in with weeds. They look very, very similar to one another. The work of the kingdom happens with and in risks. And so we need to hear the vision of the harvest that can happen and work toward that end, even with the risk. This means accepting all the risks and acting now. The potential is too great to wait. And if we wait for the perfect time, it will never come. We need to go forth in faith, believing that God will bring the harvest, even when it looks like there's no way there could possibly be one. Finally, at the end of the parable, the, the disciples turn to Jesus and, and say to him, you know, uh, why do you keep talking to us in parables all the time in verse uh, 10? And then Jesus says to them, 
to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but for those who are outside, everything comes in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not receive, and while hearing, they may hear but not understand. Otherwise, they might return, and it would be forgiven them. Jesus is saying something really interesting here about parables and mystery. And this strange interlude happens sometime with Jesus not in the boat. So you kind of figure that Jesus got in a boat, he went offshore to be able to preach or proclaim the parable. And then it says, and soon he was alone with his followers. So all of a sudden now he's not in the boat. So there's some continuity issues when you read through the text. Is he in the boat? Is he not in the boat? How does that exactly happen? And some wonder how this episode might even happen. This conversation could take place, perhaps in an inclusion by Mark of a later conversation since it matches the beginning of Jesus' teaching and parables. So since this is the first parable that Jesus told in Mark's gospel, maybe he's trying to add some context here. The disciples ask about parables, and Jesus now elaborates on their mystery in the kingdom. He says to be granted the mystery is something the disciples have. In other words, to accept the word and the teaching Jesus brings. To them has been granted that mystery, the acceptance of word and the teaching that Jesus brings. But the controversy here is about those who are outside. Who are those people? And there's lots of arguments here among scholars, whether it's the Gentiles, whether there's parts of the Jewish community that weren't paying attention, or perhaps to those to whom Mark was writing this gospel who were unbelievers. Outside in this context, refers to the threats that the seeds faced, the birds, the rocks, the thistles. Jesus is saying, in some ways, that the same seed is offered to everybody. And what it really boils down to then is not so much whether the seed is sown. It's not so much whether everybody has or has not received the grace of God. It is a matter of readiness and acceptance. It's a matter of how willing we are to be open to receive that word when Jesus brings it forth. And that opens up a key passageway here. That wonder and openness make our lives good soil. Rather than drawing conclusions and being ironclad in argument, Jesus invites a little bit of wonder. This is mysterious work. God's kingdom is growing amongst them, even in the midst of all of these risks. And so the parable of the seeds invites us to wonder. It invites us to speculation and openness. You see, our readiness to hear the word of Jesus is much more grounded in wonder, speculation, and openness than it is on absolute ironclad certainty. As a matter of fact, when we practice that form of ironclad certainty, we may find ourselves becoming like one of those seeds that had the life choked right out of it. It's an important word for us to hear. Wonder and openness make our lives good soil. If you have comments or reflections, I'd love to hear from you. Please visit uh, my website, revcraig.com. You can click in the upper right-hand corner on news, and then there's a drop-down menu that says podcast, and then you can click on this week's episode and leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Also, I encourage you to visit our church's website at ffmc.org, firstfreemethodistchurch.org to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening. I wish you all a blessed Lent, and eventually we will arrive at a glorious Easter. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.